In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 361. Three of a kind. We are doing a retro review. How about that? We'll probably be doing a lot of those this year. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But uh, in particular, we are talking about a three-issue crossover that happened between Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and The Flash. Specifically, in the, uh, we're talking Green Lantern number 96, Green Arrow number 130, and The Flash number 135. Um, these are the covers. If you guys have ever seen them in the back issue bins, it's a uh, kind of a collect and connect cover uh, featuring uh, obviously each each uh, the hero of each respective title on their cover in front of a sinking cruise ship, uh, and you can put it all together. And they're they're uh, they're helping getting get everyone evacuated from the boat. Um, so uh, Mark is going to go ahead and take Green Lantern number ninety six. And I'll take uh, uh, Green Arrow 130 and Flash 135, but uh, here we go. So why did you want to do this one, Chad? Is it just because of the characters? It's because of the characters. Um, I mean, I feel like whenever we do um, story arcs from the this sort of era of uh, Green Lantern, we usually choose those story arcs that are specific to Green Lantern, as in take place mostly solely contained within the Green Lantern story uh, and within the Green Lantern series. But there, during Kyle's era in particular, there are so many of these various crossovers that take place across other titles. Like, you know, one of the other ones I would like to do at some point, and f- forgive me, folks, if you've heard of it and know I'm saying this wrong, The Siege of Zishram or something like that that's supposed to, like, there's a Green Lantern issue that ties into that, some Supergirl-related stuff. Um, there was also, wasn't there, like, a Idol Worship or something with Superboy at the do, time? We didn't do Idol Worship. I don't think we did. But there's Idol Worship with Superboy... Um, there's 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 mentions in this very story of uh, Flash or, or of uh, uh, of a, an adventure between Green Lantern and Green Arrow, uh, Kyle and Connor uh, that uh, that they flash back to. There's there's a lot of crossover stuff that happens with Kyle in his era that is not solely specifically uh, contained to the Green Lantern series and. The, while this one isn't necessarily, I think, one of the best of them, it's the one of the ones I think of the most specifically because of the Collecting Connect cover. 
it just kind of really visually embodies for me the two main people that I associate Kyle with. If you were to tell me Kyle crossed over with other characters d- during his run in DC, what kind of characters do you think? Oh, probably Connor Hawk and Wally West. Like that's who I immediately think of. And I've got a visual, uh, a visual tome to sort of look at and kind of mentally picture that with this one image. That's a good answer, Chad. That's a good answer. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Good Is that answer. On the board? Good answer. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Alrighty then. Uh, if I look now, I picked this issue before I actually had gone back to reread this entire storyline, and I don't think I do. It's possible I have all three of these issues. I knew I had the Green Lantern one because it's Green Lantern, so I was collecting it. But having read all these three back to back. I'm kind of glad I took this issue, <laughs> even though the second one's the second one I I, I kind of like too. But all right, so let's get into it. Uh, three of a kind, part one. Uh, Ron Mars is the writer. Sadly, no Daryl on this one. Uh, Paul Pelletier, who we'll talk about the art in this issue. Uh, I do like I, because Paul he did a lot of Green Lantern stuff, including I believe he did some of the uh, Emerald Knights. Some of those, some of those issues, and I know he did the Outsiders, I believe, when I when the Eradicator was part of the team, which is the only reason why I read the the Outsiders. <laughs> but so we be, we begin in Iraq, uh, and based, and it's kind of timely considering you know this is the late '90s and Saddam Hussein is still floating around in there. Uh, so this is one of his his storehouses for that, you know, purportedly for chemical weapons and and all that kind of jazz, and the Iraqis are. The guards realize something's going on. They're being attacked, and of course, who's who's mel- melting the wall of this of this chamber? But Hatchet, Heatwave, and Sonar. Of course, the Iraqis don't stand much of a chance, and the bad guys, you know, pretty much disperse the, the resistance real quick in bloody fashion too. Because as you see, the the scattered, burned bodies and the bloody bodies, they basically find this big sarcophagus there, which is what their their ultimate goal was. So they, they, we don't know what they're doing with it yet, but we just know that they're basically there to take it. We cut to the the watchtower, right, with uh, Martian Manhunter, and he's trying to figure out why <laughs> Wally West and uh, Connor are there because they're in street clothes, and then, of course they they inform Martian Manhunter and ourselves that basically they're waiting for Kyle because they're all they've pretty much they all got decided to uh, take an Alaskan cruise together, and since these characters don't. Which is part of the dynamic of this issue and the whole story, the way they they're kind of at least some of these characters are like fire and water together, so you can just imagine them all spending time together on vacation, let alone sharing like a suite. So they're waiting for Kyle, and of course Wally is just you know kind of like mocking Kyle's like, "What do you expect, Mister Dependable?" Blah 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 blah. Kyle shows up late with you know with his duffel bag, saying you know he had some magazine illustrations he had to turn over to his agent first, and. <clears throat> of course, Wally kind of well, Wally's kind of being a jerk here, and is like, I didn't hear anybody asking for an excuse, did I, Connor? And they, Kyle and Wally, get into it, but eventually, you know, uh, I almost said Oliver, uh, <laughs> Connor breaks up the two of them and says, Hey, you know, you know, we got to get, you know, we got to get going if we're gonna you know, catch it and make the ship. And they say goodbye to John. It's like, Hey, you don't know what you, you don't know what you're missing. And he goes, Oh, I, I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> They get to the dock. They find out, of course, with all their bickering and Kyle being late to begin with, that they missed they missed the boat. 
so they're trying to figure out their best way to do that. It's like, oh, maybe, hey, you, you, know, you run super fast. You can, you, you could get us there. And it's like that would be real low key, right? The whole point is that we're supposed to be on vacation, no uniforms, no costumes. Which, of course, conveniently does not stop Kyle from making like his little construct boat that's, that <laughs> takes him over to the Aurora Borealis, a good name for a cruise ship. And they basically they just they climb aboard the ship, which is kind of a little, un- a little unbelievable. Just from the perspective of, I guess it'd have to be a really quiet moment on that cruise where, like, maybe nobody would be seeing seeing them come up on on the on the deck. But they manage to all get on the deck, and then of course, and they get intercepted by, and I don't know if she's really the cruise director, but they certainly make the joke of it because her name is Julie. <laughs> so the Julie McCoy love boat joke, of course, Kyle trying to be Mister Smooth and trying to pick her up, uh, and she could really she could really care less. Uh, couldn't care less that Kyle points out. Oh, we do have reservations. You know, we, we have you know our rooms, and then we kind of find out that uh that we, we it's like they're sharing a suite on the promenade desk. So they don't have their own rooms, but they're sharing a suite. And Kyle continues putting on the charm, and of course she doesn't care, but she's automatically drawn to Connor and makes a point that hey, if you need if you need anything, come you come find me. And, and Wally's like, what the hell was that? And Kyle's like, oh, this happens all the time with this guy. <laughs> so later on, it, it's it's sunset, and you know, there's a whale in the water, which is kind of a cool scene. And Kyle's just t- taking in the scenery, and he's just kind of he's just playing back stuff that's been going on, you know, with uh, with things that have happened in recent issues, including the, the Green Lantern Flash uh, Faster Friends crossover. And Wally interrupts him and says, hey, you know. Take a look at this. This is a better show than your ring, and, and they see the, in the Northern Lights. Uh, Wally sees you know three chicks that are on, on the deck, and he's and he's, and he's trying to uh, maybe hey three of them, three of us, and that prompts a conversation between Wally and Kyle about Jade. And I'm sure you found this amusing when Kyle keeps playing up the fact that oh there's like nothing between the two of them, which of course at the time technically that might not be, uh, might not have been. But the fact that, you know, he, of course he has an interest in her and everything else. Meanwhile, while he's talking about Jade, we see Jade sitting on the couch reading a book. Uh, and then all of a sudden some something opens, like this port, almost like this energy fissure or portal opens up and it just sucks her, sucks her away. So, which is not really a factor in the story, but obviously it's setting up for stuff further on. Wally kind of talks about how everybody had a crush on Donna, like in the Titans and everything else, uh... But, you know, so it's kind of a nice moment, actually, between Wally and Kyle here, because it doesn't really happen that often in this in this episode, the in this issue, I should say, they all go to they all go down to the to the bar and um, before they get there, of course, the, that whole scene of, uh, with Connor talking talking about uh, uh, have I basically they're asking Connor if, you know, if, if he's uh a virgin or not, and he says, well, no, not well, I don't think so, but then again, she might have been a ghost, and this opens up this whole thing from, I guess, Green Arrow 113, and everybody's like, look, and those two are looking at each other like, a ghost? It's like, come on, there's got to be more, there's got to be more to this story than that. At at the bar, uh, which they finally make their way, some, you know, somebody, like, gets, starts telling them to get out of their seats, and they all kind of, everybody starts picking up on some vibes off of uh, all of these guys, Kind of now. Let's be honest. It's kind of hard not to pick up a vibe off a of sonar. Look at his head. 
<laughs> right? But the but the other two, maybe maybe they're just human beings. Maybe so, Sonar's going with the uh, Captain America version of uh, of of Incognito, <laughs> an upturned an upturned baseball collar cap. and a baseball cap. Yeah, <laughs> not, not even putting in the effort of going with the sunglasses to try to throw people off. But but uh, so everybody starts. They start butting heads, and everybody starts picking up on, you know, each of them picks up on one of the one of the guys as a villain. You know, it's between Sonar, Hatchet, and Heatwave, they all pick up on what's going on. Uh, Kyle, you know, Kyle starts you know figuring out it's like a, it's like we can't risk you know trying to do something right now. There's too many people could get hurt. Meanwhile, we cut to the cut to the bridge where the, where the three of them are basically telling you know telling the captain to change direction and take the and turn north, due north, and Julie comes in and Sonar starts messing with, about to mess with her. She, he gets hit in the head with a, I like this, this is a pretty cool construct, a, cons, a construct cannonball shot out of a cannon that Kyle just shot. Now the Flash and Green Arrow are both in uniform, and we have a, the, we have the beginning of a, you know, beginning of the confrontation here that carries over in a way into three, into the total of the three issues. So they, they start they start duking it out here. Sonar Sonar and Kyle are going toe to toe, which isn't surprising since you know, he is a Green Lantern villain. And they pretty much say, "Hey, you, it's like a, I'm going to punch a hole right through the bottom of the ship if you guys don't stand down right now." It's like I doubt basically even you guys could save everybody on board. And what's it going to be? So they Kyle Wally and uh, Kyle Wally and Connor stand down. At this point. You know, they get they get taken away. We get we go down a hatchet. We get down to the uh, basically the cargo hold where we see that you know the casket or sarcophagus to find out that inside that is Doctor Polaris. Dun dun dun. That's all right. Um, solid first issue, I think. Yes. Uh, well I, done. Yeah. The, the the there's there's something that happens in issue three. That makes my thought process behind uh, something we'll get to later um, more obvious. But uh, I, this is this is me just I'll, I'll talk about it later. Um, but otherwise, I feel like it's a solid it's a solid first issue. The art, nah, yes and no. Um, it's not so different from Daryl that that it's. Um, that it's off-putting, but it's uh, there's I don't know maybe it's the inker or the maybe the too strong of the square-jawed look on some of these guys I, I don't know, but that's neither here nor there. It's not, I, at no point did I think it was bad. For those of you who are looking at the Jade page, wondering what the hell is going on, that leads into Heart of Darkness because this happens at the exact same time that Heart of Darkness is being published. In fact, so this is they even advertise it in this issue. That, that's right. Um, so uh, if you were, if you were wondering where the hell Jade was taken to, that is the beginnings of the Heart of Darkness story arc. Um, but I, I don't know, man. So I just there's not a ton to like just sort of break down here, maybe. But the it is a solid first issue. It is. I that's why I do think from a storytelling perspective, I think the first two issues of this story are the best. Uh, Especially since there's such a dramatic tonal shift and structural shift, and but when you get to the third, I think again I agree with you about the art. I do, and which I started to say when I, while I was kind of going with it, but I stopped going off on an early tangent with Pelletier. 
I do like his art. He's done some cool stuff. Like I said, he, he, I'm pretty sure he was, if I remember correctly, he was the one doing the Outsiders when the Eradicator was ru- pretty much running the team. And he did do, I think, some of Emerald Emerald uh, Knights. So I'm, I'm okay with him drawing Kyle, and I'm okay with him in uniform and out of uniform. But there's some, I think something about Wally and Connor, I don't like the way they look, the way he draws them. So I, I that's that's what that's what kind of that's what kind of struck me. I'm okay with with John with Martian Manhunter and things like that. And when they're in their uniforms, it's not as bad. That's not, I shouldn't phrase it that way. It's it's not as it doesn't stand out like a sore thumb to me as much when they're in all when the other two are in their uniforms. But when Wally and Connor are in their civilian clothes, I did kind of notice it more. So I would say, yeah, I I wish it would have been Daryl. You know, but it is, but it's, but the art is certainly, like you said, it's certainly not bad. It's just that I think it's, there's, there's something, there's something about it which doesn't, which doesn't flow as well for me as, as maybe it could have, but. Uh, since you started reading Green Lantern, you know, right around the Emerald Twilight and stuff, uh, did, did. Were you uh, a fan of the interactions that Kyle had with either Connor or Wally or both? I, w- I would say I was a fan of both. I I don't – just conceptually and practically. I, I wasn't a huge fan of having the multiple multi-part crossovers which makes you have to buy all these different books. So I just I know I know why they do it and it, it's you know it's it's all dollars I know, I understand that it's easier to swallow when it's like you know when you have like three Superman books and it's a crossover in all three even if you're not reading the other two it's like okay at least it's a character that I read I do I do think I remember for whatever reason I I I think there were more to me in my mind's eye there were more with with Connor and Kyle than with Wally mm-hmm. and Kyle but that would kind of make sense because it's the whole the because Wally and Kyle here kind of get along in a way like like Ollie and Hal did, that they're friends, but they're but there's but there's a lot of friction between the two of them because they don't see eye to eye on stuff. While they make a point even in this issue of Kyle saying that he and Connor kind of like hit it off right away and they kind of have they kind of just they're just a perfect match. Uh, but I remember I kind of remember the Faster Friends one at least the you know the when that happened in Green Lantern. But I, I do remember the crossovers with, you know, the crossovers with uh, with Connor. So yeah, I, I was, and, and I, and obviously you understand why they do it because they're trying to build, you know, as a legacy character, they're trying to reestablish all these characters, kind of like continuing a a new version of of a friendship that we knew, or relationships that existed between the old Green Arrow, Flash, and Green Lantern. So you understand it, and it makes perfect sense that they would try to establish a new dy- a new dynamic, if not the same exact one, between the three of these guys. So, so yeah, it was it was good when they did that. I think I did like the I think I did like the Flash crossovers more. I think probably because overall, what the Flash was probably a little more interesting to me, even just conceptually, than than, than Green Arrow. Even though I like Connor, I like Connor when he took over. But you know, you mentioned this uh, splash of uh, the three of them in costume and in the construct canon. This would be a great uh, commission to get from Daryl. It's like Daryl, you do this page, but like how you would have done it? Because I imagine 
that uh, if if Daryl were to have done this page, uh, Kyle would be wearing like a pirate co- construct pirate hat and holding at the very least like a, a construct rapier. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yes, maybe maybe a, like a construct long coat or something like that. I don't know. You know. Or maybe even uh, a, or maybe even the cannon would have looked more like more like a construct or the cannonball even would have looked a little more constructy as opposed to just having the energy other than like the smoke coming out of the cannon it just looks so solid you know yeah of course we know they're supposed to be solid solid light constructs but the point is it doesn't have as opposed to like the next page when like kyle's you know kind of like flying in the air and you can kind of see the energy around him and things like that it just seems like uh but um, i also i also feel like daryl would have made like wally you know, move around, look more like he was in motion. Because here, while he's just sort of standing there, uh, Connor looks so stoic. Just he's not really crouched, or he, he's literally just standing straight, holding it, you know, aiming a bow and arrow. It doesn't look like he's he's not doing any of the crazy like um, Neil Adams sort of Green Arrow poses that uh, he would finagle Oliver into. Whenever Oliver would would knock a bow, but uh, or knock an arrow, but I don't know, maybe. I just feel like there would be, there'd be more um, obvious motion and posing and uh, sort of fun that Daryl would have with this particular image. You are probably correct. I'll have to ask him. Just send it send it to him. See what he thinks. Um, but I mean, it's. Three characters. I can't imagine how much that that commission would cost. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Give, give up uh, some pops, Chad. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> oh man. Donate some more blood. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else you want to say about this issue? No, but as you pointed out, and I completely concur, it was it was a really really solid start to a three issue story arc. For sure, for sure. All right, so Green Arrow number 130. Um, Let me see here. Where is – there it is. This is called Death at the Top of the World, and the writer is Chuck Dixon with Will Rosado as the penciler, Sal Buscema as the inker, Lee Lowridge as the colorist, uh, Jamison as the separator, John Costanza, letterer, and Darren Vincenzo, running to keep up. I'm assuming that's the editor. Costanza! <laughs> um, we open right where we left off. You know, uh, the, the villains are in charge of the situation. Sonar is causing a panic on the bridge, uh, just freaking everybody out. Uh, Heatwave tells, tells them to calm down. Meanwhile, Hatchet has got... The three heroes in the dining hall uh, under uh, at, at gunpoint, um, but he's drinking and talking and smarting off while he's doing so. So Kyle gets a construct RC car with a little uh, camera <laughs> going and ahead a little of, ahead uh, of his time with that uh, with the, with that app ahead of his time. <laughs> that's right. He's got a little little screen on his lap to 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 watch what happens with the. Um, uh, with w- w- with the RC car and the the footage, it's uh, it's checking out. Meanwhile, down uh, in, down below, we've got uh, Heatwave and Sonar checking on the box that contains Polaris. Uh, this is when Kyle figures out Polaris is the real the real deal here, and what's 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 really happening behind the scenes, uh, and what the real threat is. Uh, a 
I don't know, uh, it could be a cabin girl, could be a server, not sure. Comes into the room, Heatwave tries to get her a little more, um, uh, get him, uh, I'm sorry, a hatchet, get a little more to drink as well as maybe join him, but he takes his eye off the ball, and of course this is when Flash uh, decks him, knocks him out, and Kyle and Connor go to uh, take care of the Polaris problem, but they run into Sonar. Uh, Connor knocks a few arrows, uh, but that doesn't do anything. He Sonar sends off some vibrations. Kyle sends Connor off to go deal with the Polaris situation. Uh, Flash is telling everyone to telling the captain to mobilize everybody, get them off the boats, uh, into life preservers, onto the boats, uh, evacuate the ship. Uh, down below, Heatwave is hearing this, the the commotion up top. Here's some in, some um, uh, noise down down below where he's at. Thinks it might might must be rats. That's when Connor kicks him in the back. Cut back to the fight with Kyle and Sonar. Um, and Sonar's really pumping up the volume, uh, just because you know you got Sonar, you got to have the bad sound puns. Um, and Chad, uh, pump up the jam. <laughs> <laughs> um, make some noise. Uh, <laughs> Kai, uh, while he's running around putting life preservers on everybody, as well as uh, eating as much as he possibly can to keep up his metabolism, I'm assuming, because that's that era where this is sort of happening for the Flash. Uh, Heatwave uh, gets in his fight with Connor. It doesn't really do anything. He doesn't get the upper hand much on Connor. Um, Hatchet comes to, says, I'm going to show all of them. Cut back to the fight with Sonar and Green Lantern. Uh, Sonar's getting real cocky, really cranking up those vibrations. This is when... Um, Good vibrations. Uh, this was when... Uh, but, He's distracted because Kyle creates a construct Liberty Bell, drops it down on top of uh, Sonar, which, of course, reverberates all of his vibrations back to himself, you know, kind of shorts him out and uh, you know, knocks, himself, knocks himself out. Uh, back over to Hatchet, he's creating uh, bigger and bigger, bigger guns. He shoots a hole through the bottom of the ship. And everybody's like, oh, shit, we're going to die. Um, and and uh, right as Connor gets grabbed by the back of the neck, uh, they will indeed die. I must correct you, young man, but it will be at my hand. And Polaris is awake, holding uh, Connor aloft as uh, the ship begins to fill with water. Um, yeah, what do you think? The story was not bad. I didn't like the art at all. Did not like the art at all. Um, especially because, and I almost said this while you were while you were talking. That's supposed to be Julie. That's supposed to be the same hot little blonde chick that we that the Julie McCoy knockoff. But we don't realize. But you barely can recognize it until until they mention her by name. I think that's on one of these panels. Uh, but they do call her Julie. Uh, ask her if she's okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It. I mean, some of the the fight the fights were kind of cool. I I did kind of like the uh, the way they kind of got. Kyle was pretty good in this. Kyle was pretty good in this issue. I like the with the minute the monster truck thing and the and then the way he was able to turn the tables on Sonar. That was that was that was pretty good. Obviously, you'd ex, you'd expect Green Arrow to come across doing some pretty good things in this issue since it is a Green Arrow book. 
It was it it was a good issue, and I did continue the story. It was not as good as the first, I didn't think. But it was getting it was good getting Polaris out of the getting them off out of the ice, if you will. It made me uh, it made me kind of glad that they didn't go with the old trope of everybody faces off against each other's villains, you know, because Connor's taking on Heatwave, not Flash. Flash is taking on Hatchet, not Connor. Um, you do have the main sort of fight between Sonar and Green Lantern. That's sort of a thing. But when Sonar mentions, you ever hear of harmonics? They're the vibrations that hold the world together. Everything hums at its own speed. Um, it makes you kind of wish that there was a um, a fight between Sonar and Flash instead. That maybe yeah. Flash and Flash and uh, Kyle changed roles. And if uh, Kyle was kind of helping to organize everyone, get them off the ship and stuff like that, get everybody into boats and life preservers and things like that. And Kyle was the one facing down Sonar because of, you know, he can vibrate, but uh, Sonar can mess with vibrations. That would have been an interesting fight, but maybe it would have been wouldn't have been as over as soon. You know, you don't know. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good that's a good point. It was. They continued. I mean, they continued the fight. They they made they progressed the story. So I think there's not much you can. At the end of the day, you really can't complain much about or nitpick this. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. I don't think as well developed as the as the setup. I don't think in issue one. Speaking of not well developed, there was one thing I wanted to um, mention. So Sonar, Heatwave, and Hatchet are not necessarily big deal villains, but they are villains with their own secret identity, or, or rather villain names, and they are villains which we recognize a lot of those names. But their plan here is evidently, uh, Dr. Polaris gets his power from an electromagnetic field that covers Earth, power that makes you and me and our trigger-happy buddy look like pikers in comparison all we have to do is get his carcass to magnetic north, and he amps it to full capacity. Okay, great. That's the plan with Polaris. Why we're bringing Polaris, but but why specifically did you guys go get Polaris? And I'm guessing he'll be grateful to the guys who got him here. That's the plan, anyways. Their entire reasoning for kidnapping Polaris is to basically be on his good side, so they can be henchmen. Goals, goals. That's like. I mean that's that's some that's some rookie level shit. Like that's don't get me wrong. It's not like it. It's not like I was like this is Lex Luthor and the Joker and shit. Like why are they coming up with such a? Yeah, you know, why are they trying to kowtow to somebody else? Like it's not like I, I expect these guys expect better of these guys. But like when you're dealing with named villains, like you you kind of expect them to be the villains, not them trying to pursue being a henchman. I don't know. It just seems weird. No, you're correct. It was it, as far as pl- well. Let's put it this way: as far as plans go, it's it certainly doesn't fall into the master scheming of all time. It's like, oh, this is such a high end, well, like pipe dream kind of plan. It's like it's never gonna work. It's like, well, it, this one could work, but is it really worth the effort? Because <laughs> Doctor yeah. Polaris, I mean, Doctor Polaris is not exactly you know the, the A team of villains either. So it was like. Uh, but he's extremely powerful. Oh yes, yes. There's no doubt yeah. that he is. But it just it wasn't. And, and 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 this 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 harebrained scheme that they have here, 
even furthers my desire that they would have gone a specific way with the reasoning behind them doing this. And we'll get to it with we'll, after I recap issue three. Because there's a very specific thing I think they could have added to this story to make it better. Uh, and it was just, just one idea, and it could have made the entire thing a whole lot more uh, engaging. But we'll get to it. Um, anything else about this issue before I move into Flash? Move into Flash. No, oh. I th- I think I think the time has come to get into this one. All right, Death at the Top at the Top of the World Part Three over in the Flash number one thirty five. Mark Mu- uh, Mark Miller and Grant Morrison are the writers. Paul Ryan is the penciler. John Nyberg is the inker. Gaspar is the letterer. Uh, Tom McGraw is the colorist. L.A. Williams is the assistant editor. Paul Kupperberg is the editor. And special thanks to Andrew Turk. So freaking right away, man, we got um, some amazing uh, legendary talent with Mark Millar, Grant Morrison, hell, even Gaspar. That's I mean, there are very few letterers in the world that you recognize their name, but Gaspar is one of them. And like like Todd Klein is also one. Uh, And then freaking Paul Kupperberg is the editor. There's some big names on this issue. That is true, actually. Um, so we open up Death of the World Part 3 outside of the emergency room at the hospital. The heroes are dealing with the sort of aftermath of everything that has happened. Um, this is the story of the aftermath uh, of all of this. And we're going to learn about this story through a trial, essentially. So we turn the page and we are in the courtroom day one as very, as the heroes take the stands. Now... I don't like necessarily the 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 courtroom drama um, setup. Um, it makes sense in the Flash because it's kind of a funny nod to that one time. Kind of how long was it? Real time, the trial of the Flash was that three years of of Flash stories in terms of the amount of issues that were dedicated to that. I'm not entirely sure. That sound that sounds in the ballpark, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Right. So it makes sense. It's kind of funny. Uh, it's it's done by Mark Millar and Grant Morrison, so it's it's not like it's 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 done badly. Uh, and the art is I actually really enjoy the art in this. Uh, very crisp, very clean. So it's not like it, it, it's it's not bad, but I don't think a courtroom drama is anyone's favorite setting to learn about. Uh, learn about a story that happened after the fact. But regardless, Flash takes the stand, uh, Green Lantern takes the stand, um, the the villains take the stand. They're all talking about what had happened, why it happened, what their plan was, uh, all of this. Um, everything is pretty much right on the nose to what we already know. Nothing is um, nothing is is uh, is shocking. To us, we learn a bit more about what happened after the fact. Uh, Polaris went nuts, uh, and he took, a, of course, uh, using his powers, he basically immediately just utterly dismantled the cruise ship, throwing everybody into the water before they were ready. Kyle started putting people into boats. And remember, guys, this is an Alaskan cruise, so the water is very, very cold. Um and uh, it is extremely dangerous for everybody to be in the water. Um, Kyle starts putting them into construct boats and things like that, but Sonar 
uh, is in the air disrupting Kyle, so he loses his concentration. Those boats fall apart. People fall back into the water. Uh, sonar is holding up um, hatchet and heat wave in the air alongside of him. Um, so as Connor is in the water, he knocks an arrow and and uh, shoots sonar out of the sky, which causes the other two guys to fall into the water so that all they have to really deal with is Polaris. What happened to Polaris? Well, he's in the custody of Star Labs, uh, and he's wrapped in a bunch of metal. Okay, well, how did he get that way? Flash took him over onto uh, a bunch of floating icebergs. Um, and Flash, at this point, Wally West, Wally learns, and, and this is something that happens a lot in Wally's stories, Wally, in a lot of regards, is a better Flash than Barry. And by that, I mean... Wally knows how to do things that Barry never did. Uh, so, for instance, um, wasn't one of them like storing the suit within his own molecules that's so he that, could just vibrate the suit onto himself? Yeah. Barry and it could never do that. Wally figured out how to do that. Wally also figured out how to temporarily transfer his speed, not in terms of like give away his speed where he couldn't run but somebody else could, but sort of, you know, share the speed force momentarily so this is how he does this is how he defeats polaris he spins at super speed and slaps the crap out of dr polaris which transfers some of his speed force energy and what happens is it's a it's magnetic field theory so theory so this would be a great moment for them to say hey flashbacks um here's a quick demonstration of what happens when you apply a little kinetic energy to a magnet so that turns Polaris into a super magnet and all the metal suddenly comes rushing at him and envelops him and attaches to him. This is how Polaris ends up in this metal cocoon that he's in within Star Labs. Uh, Kyle is getting everybody out of the water with a giant construct of, um, why do I forget her name? Pamela Anderson. Uh, and, um, but at this point we, we have lost, uh, 42 people. 42 people are dead, and, and all of this is that has gone on, you know, people either froze or drowned or were wounded. Whatever. We don't get the specifics of it, but we do. We are told again and again how dangerous the situation was becoming and uh, eventually lost 42 people. Well, this, um, this uh, uh, hotshot lawyer uh, that the um, – uh, villains have, hi- have uh, hired Bernard Weinstein is uh, has an ace up his sleeve and says uh, uh, your honor this is signed testimony from the uh, recently revived sonar declaring the mission these men attempted was a covert military operation Hatchet and Heatwave were obviously unaware of the situation however this information declares any verdict reached in a public court as null and void uh, and uh, um, the judge reads it and is like, I, it's so top secret, I shouldn't even be reading it. Um, he says, these are uh, uh, three Americans stealing one of the world's most destructive forces from an oppressive military dictatorship. That's not what happened here. It's just so obvious. Uh, but this whole time, Flash has been going back and forth to Cambridge. Was it Cambridge? Berkeley. Uh, Berkeley reading a bunch of law books. Why? Because he needs to find a loophole in what's going on. And he has um, 
uh, basically, uh, at, he, he found a loophole. What's the loophole? Oh, quick cut to uh, after the trial. Everybody's uh, enjoying a cup of coffee at Wally's house with Linda. Uh, and then we explain uh, Weinstein would have hung us out to dry if it wasn't for the fact that the Alaskan state attorney has the power to overrule a military court. And the Aurora Borealis incident did take place in U.S. territorial waters off of Alaska, meaning the bad guys are heading for federal court. So that uh, the Trump card that Weinstein had up his sleeve did not work, um, and the, the bad guys will be going to a federal court. Um, so there you go. Uh, then they just say goodbye to each other. Uh, Connor's got a date with Julie, evidently. Uh, and uh, then out in space... Something targets Keystone City, target located, something crashes to Earth, and what the hell was that? Someone call an ambulance, and then nobody can beat him. Tell the Flash even G-Force wasn't fast enough to save his home world from destruction, now it's his turn. The Flash must win the ultimate race, or Earth dies too, and starting next issue, the human race. Do like the costume on that guy, and very curious about what happens next, strictly because of the costume. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of, uh, where we're at now, before I ask you what you think of it at some, at, at, at by the end of issue one, when I was reading this, cause I've read this once before, obviously, but it was so long ago. I was, I, I ultimately forgot what the initial twists were. And by the end of the first issue, I had this idea about what, what could have made these guys, bust into Iraq to retrieve Polaris. Number two started to solidify that idea. And by number three, when he says they were part of a covert military operation, I was like, oh shit, maybe they did go there. And this isn't a unique idea. And I completely forgot about it and then thought of it as a good idea after the fact, somehow accessing some knowledge I had hidden away in my head, but they didn't end up going there. One thing would have made this whole thing, I think, better. Task Force X. If this was a Suicide Squad mission that Connor, Wally, and Kyle stumbled upon, I think it would have made the whole thing a whole lot more interesting. That is true. There's no doubt that it would have added a little more meat to the meat to the story, I think. Yeah, I, I just, it, like not not there are not a lot of times when I go, you know what, make this better, the Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> but, like but, never. <laughs> but uh, and 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 that's just a joke. There's a lot of great Suicide Squad. Uh, isn't there like a, uh, the John Ostrander run in particular? I believe is one of the more touted uh, Suicide Squad runs. Um, but uh, regardless, the the minute I was like, of all people to bust into Iraq. It's heat waves, sonar, and hatchet. These are not the brightest bulbs in the drawer. Like, how are they busting into Iraq military compounds to retrieve something? It looks like, are they getting a nuke? What the hell are they getting a nuke for? At the very end of that same issue, it's Dr. Polaris. Who would send these dumbasses to go get Polaris? But it is Wall. Iraq, and it is Saddam Hussein, who's also not, wasn't the brightest, brightest bulb oh, of all time. I know, I know. <laughs> But at the same time, it's just like this seems like some shit Waller would just send some expendable dudes to secure this massively powerful villain who's in a coma currently or 
unconscious, whatever state of in, of that he's in, that Polaris is actually in, get get this massively powerful metahuman out of the hands of this dictator who is against American interests. That sounds a hundred percent like something Waller would send the Suicide Squad after to do. That is true. That is a that was a good catch or a good hypothesis. Something that would have but, made it, for something that would have made it better, yes. Yeah. But now what did you think of the issue? Talk about a momentum killer with the uh, courtroom thing. It was yeah. if the whole story had been kind of like revolved like if the framing device was the courtroom. And the majority of the story that we saw, of course, was the actual action, but it was all predicated and or built around the courtroom scenes. Then I think I would have been okay with it. Talk about, you know, talk about like a a 180 uh, compared to what the first two issues were. And then you get to this. It's like (laughs) I actually didn't even realize that Grant Morrison was involved. But now that once I once I did, then maybe that's not so surprising. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but yeah I, I that's it's like wow talk about such a tonal shift it's like yeah i don't i don't think people who actually had been buying especially if you're a green lantern fan and you had been buying you bought green arrow to get the second part and then you were buying this issue to to, to see how it all ended it's like wow this is like perry mason except even more boring <laughs> uh, not to insult Perry Mason, because I'm sure I never really watched that show, you know, at, at, at all, even in, in reruns. So I don't know how interesting a show it would have been, but I'm sure Perry Mason probably was much more interesting than the courtroom scenes in this in this issue. Uh, yeah, it did. It, it was a real snoozer of a way to end this thing for me. Yeah, I'm also curious because they never answer one question: How the hell did Saddam get a hold of? Of Polaris, because where do they say it here? Okay, um, uh, this being the doctor, this being the doctor Polaris who manipulates magnetic currents, the man who threatened to flood the entire planet until Aquaman neutralized him. There's no little asterisk with the narrative box telling us where that that happened. So, did how how did? What, what happened to Polaris after Aquaman neutralized him? If Aquaman neutralized him, does it mean that Polaris is in the hands of the League or the U.S. military? How did how did Iraq get a hold of Polaris? Maybe maybe depending on where they where they duked it out, he washed up in the Persian Gulf. That's possible, I guess. But I mean, it's not it's not necessarily like a big plot hole. But it's just like okay, if if they make a point of saying. Polaris threatened to flood the planet, which he does even in his fight against uh, against uh, Wally. Then, and, and they they Aquaman neutralized him. Okay, well then, when when did that happen? And and how the hell did Saddam get a hold of him if Aquaman was the one who neutralized Polaris in the first place? So I was just just curious about that. Not a not a big plot detail. But I did. I did like the art in this one. Um, I just. I just thought it was really well done. Oh, it was certainly much better to me than part two. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, is there anything else about this one that we want to address at all? Uh, 
I still like the first issue just because you get to, because of the dynamic between the three of them because it does a good job showing you the pros and the cons of their relationships with each other. So I still think I for that reason, besides the fact that it's a really good setup for for a story, that I, I still like the first issue the best, and I think that's the issue that you get you get the greatest sampling of you know their personal relationships and some of the human the human everyday life side of these guys and and how they interact with each other and not just because oh they're all superheroes so of course they're going to get along a little bit some some real life uh an element of real life entering into the story where there's just going to be people people you basically have to work with and sometimes you do they grow on you over time but some but in the beginning sometimes you just do your best just to tolerate them because you just do not get along. Right. All right. Um, well, I guess that's going to do it for three of a kind. I did have something I wanted to sort of bring up. Um, I was on Twitter and just because we're talking Kyle and, uh, you know, it's, it's, we've only been recording for slightly under an hour, but, um, I, w- I was on Twitter, and uh, so p- some people have been asking just like some generic questions, some generic um, comic book related, you know, kind of what ifs, or if someone could do this, this, and this, uh, who would you, who would you say is the best uh, choice to do this? So, like for instance, uh, someone, uh, the account Let's Talk Iron Man yesterday said, uh, drop your most ridiculous pick for who is worthy enough to lift Mjolnir. Uh, and they answered Don Amigo from Parks and Recre- Recreation. What's your pick? So, because we're the Lantern cast, I retweeted, retweeted it and said, "Itty." <laughs> uh, and it's you know that got a little bit of interaction, and someone said, "And now I want to see that attempt." Uh, but today, someone ans- asked the question: uh, Is they they essentially put up, uh, proposed a uh, a plot, uh, an idea? Um, DC, or rather a, a synopsis, DC wants to do this. So he says, DC wants to create a new team-up book featuring Kyle Rayner and one other character. You get to pick who the other character is. Who do you team up Kyle with? And this is from Martin Sanchez on Twitter. Um, and my answer, uh, using the Lantern Cast account, got a fair bit of attention. Uh, but I'd like to uh, – do you want me to let you know what my answer was yes. or do you want to – okay. I said Renee Montoya, the question. No no Ragman chat. <laughs> no Ragman. Uh, because I was, going, I was going with my gut. For some reason, I read that question immediately. I don't know sh- like anything about Renee Montoya. I mean I know a little bit um, obviously. But uh, – for some reason, my gut immediately went Renee Montoya, and I thought that was really weird given my lack of of extensive knowledge about her. Um, and but someone responded, "Good pick." I'd read the hell out of that. And here's my reasoning: I said, "Here's basically here's how I envisioned the, that sort of story going. He'd hit on her at first, and his two two kind, nice guy way, she'd shut down that that down quick because obviously she's not into the guys." Uh, she'd be annoyed at his positivity and general gen- Green Lantern sort of attitude. Uh, he thinks she's too serious or grim. They'd learn from one another, wingman one another. Uh, but the the plot of the story is like Kyle tries 
to comes down to Earth to try and get uh, Batman or Dick Grayson to help with an intergalactic mystery and conspiracy. And I said, like, likely Dick, given that that's who Kyle knows best. Uh, he gets passed around the detective, uh, DC detective community until he ends up with an unwilling Renee. She passes him on to, to Detective Chimp. Somehow she ends up along for the ride instead of Bobo. So that was that was uh, uh, my thought. Oh God, I don't know who the hell would I put Kyle with. So ideally, it's so there's like no. First of all, we know we know it's the ultimate it's the ultimate gotcha question because we know DC would not be coming up a book to team Kyle with somebody. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I, silly rat! I also I also see it as like a six issue, not yeah, even like a twelve maxi. Well, kidding aside, yeah. So so the, so the really come, always comes down to: Do you want to put a team a character with someone that you, that you haven't seen them with that you think it would be interesting, or just which kind of goes along with this, the second part, or somebody who is such complete fire and water that it'd just be interesting just to watch everything burn, just because they, the because they are so opposite. Um, so part of me wants to say Kyle and Sinestro because it would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be a lot of fun. Of course, you can make a case Kyle and Sora right now would be almost as fun. Uh, but uh, see, my mind has will gravitate towards Green Lantern character. drag this out too long. I don't know. That 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 is a hmm. maybe maybe Dexter. Maybe it's time Dexter <laughs> Kyle I don't think how was Kyle with animals? Did, did he get along with animals? <laughs> uh I don't know. That's that if I was really being serious for a team up, I mean on some levels I I since he gets constantly shafted anyway, I wouldn't mind seeing Kyle and St. Walker just so we could see St. Walker. <laughs> uh, so I'd be sure. more to see St. Walker because same, I, I mean, St. Walker and Arkilla would be more of a natural team. That, that, that was such a horribly dropped ball and after the Colin Bun run. That was – talk about a miniseries just per- perfectly set up, Arkilla and St. Walker. Uh, and I don't want to see Kyle and uh, Carol because we've been down that road before. <laughs> yeah, I just thought Kyle and somebody surface level because he's got he's got all the power of a Green Lantern, but like, do you want to see a, him teamed up with another super powerful person? And like, you know, given the way the the whole world is going lately, you're, the the initial thought is okay. Well, Kyle and Batman. But how do you achieve the tone of a Kyle Batman story without using Batman? Well, use another, like, someone from the hero community that Batman utilizes and trusts. Like, you could throw in Batwoman. You could throw in Dick Grayson. You could throw in, you know, uh, any number of people. Like, yeah, I mean, I know it's a, I know it's being used over in Justice, uh, Justice League Odyssey, but Asriel, you know, like, you just, Throw someone as that that's sort of associated to that world. I was just like, you know what? Question. Like, but Vic Sage would be. I don't know. Do do I want like two dudes? It wasn't like a diversity hire or anything. Sort of an idea. It was just like, I don't know if I'd want to see Vic Sage specifically with Kyle Rayner, but 
but the idea of Kyle working with a girl because I feel like he I feel like he gets along with women better, not necessarily like better than guys, but better than other people. So teaming him up with 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 a woman who fits that bill, I just I mean I I just for some reason I think Renee Montoya would just would 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 be a great idea. It's certainly interesting. It's certainly an out of the box thought. So I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I don't think she would have been anywhere on my radar screen if I if I even if even if I <clears throat> had time to think about this, I don't think I would have picked her in a in a thousand years. Um, but it, yeah, but it's it's but it's intriguing. I'm just looking at my shelf like of DC trades. Like oh, there's a Legion. There's Swamp Thing. You know, there's some JSA stuff. There's Blackhawk. That's an idea. Green Lantern on the on a mission with Lost in Time on a mission with the Blackhawks. Right. Ooh, ooh! Green Lantern on a mission uh, Lost in Time with Sergeant Rock. That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be that would be a lot of fun. I bet. <laughs> or or just the Rock. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be perfect, like Kyle back with the with the with the true rock from a wrestling perspective, the ninety like the late nineties, early two thousands rock. That would be funny. <laughs> you know, when you think time travel, like you know, okay, Blackhawks, uh, Sergeant Rock, and you know that sort of a thing. Jonah Hex, but the problem. Is because Jonah Hex has had his own time travel stories. Do you send Kyle to the past to team up with with Jonah Hex in the old West, or do you bring Jonah Hex to the future to team up with Kyle, probably in space? What's what's the more interesting option there? Well, if you like, I'm, I'm thinking of the visual gags that you could get with Kyle with the charged ring in the old west. That's all great, but is the story there? But we here. Here's the thing: we've seen. While I would still probably put Kyle in the past, we've seen stories like that before. So if you're going for the more unique spin or take on it, it probably would be better to send Jonah Hex to the future. And, and into space. I think that would that would probably be the, the more unique way of of doing it. Okay. I just I just thought it was a fun question because like, I, I, and I, I didn't I didn't bring it up to brag about my pick of Rene Montoya. It was just like it was so quick and out of the blue. I was just like maybe we could have fun with this because we are discussing a Kyle centric story. <clears throat> so that is true. All right. Uh, is there anything else we wanted to talk about before we uh, shut down for the night? No, I think everything else we are deferring to next week. All right. Uh, just one other reminder, folks. JL May still happening. Uh, best bet is probably because I'm uh, at, at some point uh, I wanted to say uh, tomorrow uh, as we record this tomorrow. Uh, hopefully this weekend. I don't know when I'll have time to do it. It'll be this month. Uh, I'm going to put together a master uh, document and post it over on the Lantern Cast. Um, it'll probably end up being what uh, is uh, well. It'll probably be end up being its own post. Uh, but basically, I want somewhere 
where all of the active links for the various posts associated with JLMA, you can go to one page and click and find all of it. But right now, your best bet is to go to Twitter and search hashtag JLMay. That is hashtag J-L-M-A-Y. Uh, and that is going to be your best bet to find the conversation surrounding those, but mostly announcements about um, the episodes that have come out. As we record this, we've got Podcast of Oa. We've got Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. We've got the Idlehead of Diablo. We've got the Fire and Water podcast. Um, the uh, Head Speaks uh, put out their episode. The uh, Task Force X podcast. The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour podcast. Dr. DC put their uh, episode out today. Um, that they were covering the booster gold tie-in issues and they made it, uh, they made that a blue and gold topic episode that you can check out. Um, so all those, as we record this are out at this moment, more to come, of course. Um, so keep, keep an eye on that hashtag. Another thing I wanted to mention, I mentioned this to Mark. I'm going to mention it now, just in case it becomes a reality. There is likely not going to be an episode of creative credit this month. Um, that just because of all the finagling and scheduling and trying to get jail may going and all that stuff. Um, uh, I didn't have quite as much time as I needed to, you know, secure somebody set aside, do some research, get them on mic, schedule a time, you know, that whole thing. It's still possible in the time I've got left, but not looking likely. So I wanted to at least throw that into the water supply right now, likely not going to be a creative credit episode this month this isn't uh the beginnings of the end chad got three episodes in and he's already done and he can't handle it that's that's not it um uh, just too much on the plate at the moment uh so but uh other than that next step should we tell people what the next episode is sure might yeah we might as well i mean it's not it's I, I, it could come as a minor surprise, but not re- but not really based on what we've traditionally have done. So the next episode, what? I said, go for it. I said the next the next episode in some way, shape, or form will be our Game of Thrones season eight review, and probably I guess technically probably our overall Game of Thrones retrospective at that point, since it probably will be the last episode on Game of Thrones by itself we ever do. So that will be. So it'll be, again, some combination, Chad, Jim, and I, maybe not all together. all depends on when we record this and who's available when. And if somebody catches up and finishes the show in time, uh, <laughs> uh, this means you, Bokelman. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we, will, we will at least do the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, the new one. And probably talk a little in-game box office since we haven't really had a chance to do that because we've been doing other things. So probably more of a pop culture episode. That'll be the next one heading into our Blackest Night JL May issue episode. That's right. Our last episode of the month, which is also the last day of the month, will be our JL May contribution, which is the wrapping up the whole enchilada. Um, So, yeah. Uh, You want to tell people how they can reach out to us? LanternCast.com. The email is LanternCast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on either of those. 
iTunes and Stitcher, whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, the voicemail is 708Lantern. 708Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. See you next week with some Game of Thrones talk. Good night, everybody. Good night.